The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for the internet. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic for the whole internet and that new internet that they just started. So Ooh. Two internets. Have you heard about the new internet? It's better than the other one. I hear, I hear, yeah. I hear you play it. Uh, you, you, you interact with it on slabs of meat. That's right. It's, it's, all, it's all wetware. Uh, and uh, I don't have a nickname, but I am a film critic. And uh, and I like you. And uh, what are we talking about today, William? <laughs> <laughs> Same thing we talk about every day, Whitney. <laughs> Try to take over the world. Uh, this week on Cancel Too Soon, we're doing a bit of a crossover with our other podcast. That's right. On uh, Critically Acclaimed, we review new movies, and we do a double feature every week of good movies and bad movies that sort of pair together in unusual ways and at the end of every month we review an entire franchise of movies and sometimes Mm -hmm. those movies have failed television series and when that happens we like to put them all together earlier this year we did all of the herbie movies herbie the love bug the uh, lovable volkswagen beetle who really really wants people to have sex uh, he had a whole bunch of movies and a, a short-lived television series in the early 80s. With Dean Jones, so it's canon. It is canon. It's official. Uh, and uh, this last uh, a week, uncritically acclaimed, we reviewed all three of the Legally Blonde films. By your request. Well, by the request of the critically acclaimed listeners. Yes, over... Uh, we, uh, they... I, imagine, I imagine some of you have come over from there. Uh, welcome. Uh, and if you're if you aren't listening to both podcasts, this is a great opportunity for you. <laughs> what a treat! And if, a, and if you are, and if you are, it's like you're reading two of the Spider-Man books. Yeah, the story continued in Web of Spider-Man. Ah, but this is the sensational Spider-Man. Spider Spider-Man conned you so hard because there were four simultaneous Spider-Man books. Uh, minimum. At, at at least when I was reading them, there were four going on simultaneously. Yeah, there was Amazing Spider-Man, mm-hmm. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Yeah, there was there Spectacular was, Spider-Man and Web, Web of Spider-Man. Spider-Man. And then they also launched Spider-Man Unlimited, which only had four issues a year, and but it was like was, really thick. But then there was Spider-Man 2099, which was its own distaff yeah. sort of parallel universe thing. It didn't cross over there with the There were plenty story. of Spider-Man. There was also Marvel was, Team Up, which if, also had if Spider-Man were, at the time. If you were a big fan of Amazing Spider-Man, but not necessarily the other books, you would be lost at some point because they started writing these crossover stories that would cross over all of those titles. Yeah, so you had, so you had to, to read collect all of them. All of the Spider-Man. That was a lot to keep track of. Otherwise, how could you possibly keep up with maximum clonage? Yeah, I know. You wouldn't know what was happening from one issue to the next. How did Iron Fist get involved in that crap? I don't know. Oh, wait. Maximum Carnage had, Carnage had, had Iron, Iron Fist. Fist. Maximum Clonage, Clonage was just had a whole bunch of Spider-Man. Just a bunch of different Spider-Mans. 
Yeah. Including like a big beefy gray skinned Spider-Man called Kane. Yeah, he was a bad clone. Mm. Did bad things, made you hurt. That was such a bad story. And it was, it was, the, it was one of the only ones I read, too. That's Well, it was everywhere. It was a big deal at the yeah, time. I don't yeah. know how they tricked us into thinking that. And, and during all of that, there was this, like, the, the death of Aunt May. And it was a big deal. I remember yeah. that was, like, Amazing Spider-Man number 400. And they had a big tombstone cover. Like, with, like, an embossed Spider-Man. This was when, back when collectors were obsessed with the variant covers that had some sort of fancy flourishes attached to them so embossing or die cut holes or something glow in the dark covers people would collect extra copies of this because they were getting very valuable very quickly and it ruined comics because the, the writing inside sucked mm-hmm. and aunt may died and, that was a big moment but and, then it turns out a clone died and she they brought her back anyway well and also like that it destroyed the comics industry because um you know oh like, we're we're getting all these comics because they'll be worth something someday no they won't Everyone has a copy. There's no scarcity. Yeah. yeah Everyone's yeah. taking really good care of theirs. Those old comics you have from like the 40s that are worth something, they're worth something because they were considered disposable and there aren't many left. <laughs> so like they were all made of out your, of cheap materials even. All, all of your like copies of like Sleepwalker number 16 or whatever, where there was like a punch out whole Sleepwalker mask in the cover, <laughs> which I still have somewhere. <laughs> no one gives a crap. Also because it's Sleepwalker. Because everybody loves Sleepwalker. Uh, Sleepwalker was the legally blind of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think it's fair to say. Great segue. Thank you. It's completely nonsensical, but okay. Uh, Legally Blind, for Mm. those who didn't listen to the other podcast, was a hit comedy in 2001. Mm -hmm. Uh, It starred Reese Witherspoon. It was not her big star-making role, but it kind of solidified her as Mm -hmm. a box office draw. She was already a known quantity. People knew her, but she wasn't selling a lot of tickets, I think. Mm -hmm. I think Legally Blonde was the one where everyone's just like, oh, crap, Reese Witherspoon's going to be worth like $20 million. Holy crap. Um, And it was a big, big hit. Mm -hmm. Uh, People loved it. It Still still beloved to this day. Yep. Endlessly quoted, got turned into a hit Broadway musical. Big deal. And then in 2003, they decided to come back with Legally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde, Mm -hmm. in which Elle Woods decides to take the U.S. government by storm and use her powers of niceness in the color pink to stop animal cosmetics testing. It's about her chihuahua. It's about her chihuahua, that movie. Yeah. The chihuahua has the most dramatic arcs in that movie. Yeah. That that made me really angry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about your stupid chihuahua. Elle is a more interesting character. <laughs> anyway, uh, so this franchise, which is all based follow, on, a, yeah. by the way, we didn't even mention this in the podcast. It's all based on a book. Okay. Yeah, we didn't, a, we didn't mention the novel. There was a, there was a novel uh, called Legally Blonde by Amanda Brown. Uh, it came out about the same time as the movie. So they were, I guess they planned... To make the movie ahead of time, uh, they I guess they optioned the book like right before publishing, so they they could come out at the same. I mean, time. they both came out in the same year, so yeah. I'm pretty impressed. Um, so Legally Blonde one was directed by Robert Lukatic. Mm-hmm. Legally Blonde two was directed by Charles Herman Wormfeld, who, who also, as it turns out, that same year directed an ABC pilot for Legally Blonde, the sitcom. Which we do not have a clip of. <laughs> they did no advertising for this because this is one of those pilots that didn't get picked up. This is a this is a rarity in well, TV. Well, I guess. Well, no, there, there's more of these than there are actual shows, but they don't usually get out there. Yeah. Um, 
we've we've done a few of these before. We did Young MacGyver, uh, which was a failed mm-hmm. reboot of MacGyver starring one of the dudes from Supernatural. Uh, As pretty much the same character from Supernatural, like this flip laid back extra hip talking cool young version of MacGyver. Uh, back at the beginning of the show we did of this podcast, we did a show called Black Bart, which was the TV sitcom version of Blazing Saddles, which the studio made and never aired on purpose mm-hmm. because if they had to actually make something in order to keep the rights to Blazing Saddles. But, there, but there's nothing there's no language in the contract saying they had to air it or display it to the public in any way. They just had to make it. So they made it and put it in a vault and it's still there. Yeah, they released the pilot episode, and we we eventually on like a DVD, and we reviewed mm. that. Starred Lou Gossett Jr., who is great as the, in it as the Bart character. He's actually yeah. really good in it. Like he he would have been fine. Mm. Um, so yeah, Legally Blonde. When when people talk about like oh god, oh, all these all these movies are turning into TV shows. Is there no creativity left? There never was. They were doing this all the time for decades. <laughs> yeah, and no one gave a crap until recently. I love. There's no creativity in Hollywood anymore. Is wrong. There's there's never been creativity no. in Hollywood. Everyone's just chasing whatever is <laughs> popular at the moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, if you think about it, one of the most popular and acclaimed sitcoms of all time is Mash, which was just a sitcom based on a movie. It's a mm-hmm. miracle it was any good at all, let alone great. <laughs> based on an Altman movie, it's like how do you put that into a sitcom? And indeed, the concept of Legally Blonde actually lends itself pretty well to a sitcom, at least on paper. I would say almost better to a a sitcom than to a feature film. Yeah. So the premise of Legally Blonde is there's a young woman named Elle Woods, played in the original movie by Mm. Reese Witherspoon and played here by an actress named Jennifer Hull. Mm. Um, She's had a long career of bit parts. She's probably best known for her uh, regular role on the short-lived but not short-lived enough for our purposes sitcom Up All Night. Mm. Um... She's taking over the role of Elle Woods. Elle Woods is a Beverly Hills heiress. I mean, her family is rich. She's super wealthy. She's super into fashion. Mm-hmm. She uh, loves the she, color pink. She loves her her little Chihuahua bruiser because she speaks. Uh, the, because of the way she speaks and because of her interests, she's into fashion and fashion magazines and celebrity gossip. Uh, it is assumed that she is dumb, and people approach her as if she is dumb when in fact she's very smart. In fact, she's she's fiercely intelligent mm-hmm. in the movie. She thinks she's about to be engaged to her hotshot boyfriend who's going to go to Harvard Law School and then pursue a career in politics and her whole life is set out for her. He dumps her because he doesn't think she's serious enough. And in order to prove to him that she's got real depth, she decides she'll go to Harvard Law School. It can't be hard, right? Turns out, not for her. She's super fucking smart, and she gets into Harvard Law School. Well, and she also really applies herself. Yeah. That's that's an important... Like, she's, she she's not lazy. She, she really knuckles under. Um, um, and so in, the in movie this, is about her going to Harvard Law School and becoming a lawyer and trying her first big case. The well, sitcom... It, it starts out as she's trying to show up her ex-boyfriend, when over the course of it, she learns that... Working for the legal system is actually a very just thing to do. And she's very and passionate she, she's about very, it. Yeah, very so she, she kind of finds her new passion. So at the end of the movie, she's a lawyer. Mm. And that's it. It's a full cycle. It's a satisfying single story. For the sitcom, they decide to just take that chunk in the middle where she's at Harvard Law. Mm. And that's going to be the show. It's Elle Woods at Harvard Law every week, a new adventure. That's a fine premise for a sitcom. You have a, you have a character who is somewhat out of place. 
and, and you uh, just let them run amok. Rather notably in the sitcom, they abandon the ex-boyfriend angle. They mm. never explain, I came to Harvard Law chasing an ex-boyfriend and I'm just trying to show him up. She's just there to study law. And I think that makes her a more interesting character in the sitcom. Um, I, I guess because you can't have that arc because it kind of... It would either have to last over the course of the series, and I think that would be death for a sitcom mm-hmm. of her trying to constantly show up her ex-boyfriend. It would constantly it be like about this... her relationship with the ex-boyfriend, and that's l- not interesting over the course of an entire series. It feels like the sort of thing that if you wanted to include it, you wrapped it up in the first season. Right. And then you moved on to something mm-hmm. else. Like, there's another uh, guy she's not paying attention to who's actually really cool for her, and then at the end of the first season, she finally, like, puts aside all of her old baggage and decides to date this new guy. But damn it, wouldn't you know it? She took so long. Now he's dating someone else who's mm. actually cool and she can't bring herself to break him up, which You're is the plot of, of every, selfie. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, every uh, love triangle TV series ever. That's Everyone. Yes, like that's, that's all they got. Look at the beginning of Newsroom where it's just like, oh, Allison Pill and that other guy. Yeah, you guys should totally like have a thing and they're just like oh no we're just gonna we're gonna we're We're gonna gonna pretend we don't have any chemistry and then it's gonna be too late and one of us is gonna be in a relationship or or one one of them is in a relationship and then they're both single for that brief period and there's that will they or won't they but then they're like they get that other date and they're oh Oh, damn it ross is engaged and and rachel finally knows that she's in love with them it's the oldest Mm. most tired thing ever and it always feels fake to me and it always feels fake. It's because there's never that moment where it's like, oh, well, we, like, we're so in love and we nearly had that chance and you know, the audience has been rooting for them, but I'm dating somebody new. And they never say right after that, I'm dating someone new, so we missed our shot. Mm-hmm. And that's it for us. We, we almost had a thing, but we didn't. We're going to move on. I'm, I'm already ha- I already have feelings for another person. I've grown as a human being. Forget it. <laughs> Just le- leave it behind. Yeah. Well, We're not going to obsess over this thing that we didn't have. I, I, I okay. I, I, I would be a hypocrite if I totally agreed with that because I ended up marrying that person. <laughs> like my wife and I, we knew each other in college, mm. and like we kept like missing the opportunity. Like we were never like single at the same time, and mm. stuff kept happening. And then finally, like ten years later, yeah. But if you were to put this in a sitcom, it would start with the ten years later. Right. Like you'd have the conversations we had that past, and now now we can have the romance, and you'd get married. And that would be your sitcom. It all works out. <laughs> anyway, so she's, at, so she's at Harvard but Law. But yeah, so without that subplot, we have Elle at Harvard Law because Elle merely wants to be at Harvard Law, and that's it. I gotta tell you something, though. Watching this sitcom, it mm. does feel like we skipped a bit. It feels like I do We don't kinda, know how she got there. Well, I, I get that she got there, but I would kind of like a moment, because it starts off with her, like, oh shit, did I Play, write it down? Playing a lot of temp music, first of all. Well, oh yeah, a ton yeah. of temp music, including that great song, Perfect Day, that everyone mm. knows from Legally Blonde. Uh, a, a little bit of a digression. I had a, a, a pretty bad breakup in the early, like, in 2001, mm-hmm. and to console myself, and this is kind of an embarrassing thing I did, I listened to a lot of Radio Disney. I don't know how that worked its way into my like, depressive That's rotation. Really weird. I was going, I was volunteering uh, at the Braille Institute at the time, and I was going on a lot of long drives, and so I was just sort of thumbing around on the radio. For some reason, I landed on the AM dial, and I landed on Radio Disney. So, 
there was something kind of harmless, you know, after a really bad breakup, it was nice to hear this sort of really pure, light, junky, bubblegum version of junior high romance. It was, it was comforting to me at the time, even though I knew it was really bad. It was a guilty pleasure. And so I heard this song a lot, Perfect Day, yeah. by Hoku. <laughs> well, so, and, and that song was just one of those, like, it's weird how many movies have a theme song and mm. you don't give a shit a minute later. Mm. Perfect Day. That's still stuck in my goddamn head. It's not even mm. that good a song. It's just the right song for Legally yeah, it's, Blind. It's not it's, like it matches her perky personality. It's not like or, or supermodel Jill Sobiel's supermodel from Clueless. You know that some just hook in. Yeah, uh, it opens with Elle just sort of talking about moving from Beverly Hills to Harvard, mm. and uh, she she even talks about Beverly Hills, where all you need to survive is a Volkswagen convertible, a good dermatologist, and a flea dip every six months for her dog. Oh, I was about to say she's she's living in some squalor if she needs a flea dip. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, now she's now she's in Harvard, and the plot of this episode is she's already there, mm-hmm. and she's got to do a mock trial for one of her classes, and she's also trying to find an apartment. And I get that you kind of want to just jump in. To like, here's what a typical episode is going to be: something mm-hmm. involving the law, and also some side quest. Yeah, and then so that a, will be a, that. a plot, B plot, and she gets them both. But the because we is, don't have like a supporting cast we care about yet. But the fact of the matter is, this is a different version of Elle Woods. This is not the Elle Woods that went to Harvard to chase after her boyfriend. This is an alternate reality. Mm-hmm. And I would kind of like to know how this one decided to be go to Harvard Law School. It's like a big thing to push for it's like it's like a dream has that been her dream since she was a child has Hmm. that did that come to her sort of later in life did she what was her drive what was her (laughs) when you think about like why why is this person at harvard law when you think about like people who like pursue something that is really difficult Hmm. uh, there's usually and they're worth telling a story about there's usually something that drives them like rudy Hmm. you know rudy rudiger he he actually really wanted to play for Notre Dame because of his family, because everyone told him he couldn't do it. And even though you watch that movie now and he seems a bit disturbing in his monomania, <laughs> at the same time, you do root for him because, damn it, that's all he wants. I don't really have a rooting interest in Elle because I don't really know why she's here hmm. in the pilot. I get that she's here and I'm sort of supportive at a baseline level, but I feel like I I would be more invested if I had hmm. some sense of what is driving her. I see. see I, I disagree. I like that she wasn't given that sort of contrived backstory. Um, I don't need that contrived the backstory. Right. It's just a reason. J- just like a single line, a, a, like a uh, quick monologue. I, I, I liked being. I, I saw a law show and I decided to apply, and it turns out it was, it's, it's something I had a talent for. Yeah, I had. I, a, I, I think we could kind of intuit that though, just through her passion and talking about the law. She's just a student. You know, you go to college, there's all kinds of students. You go to Harvard Law, there's all kinds of students. It wasn't like in the movie where all the Harvard Law students were sort of uniformly dressed in gray Mm -hmm. and they were all just sort of like tight-lipped and buttoned up. Uh, This is just sort of a more accurate depiction of what college life is like. And people didn't take her very seriously because she didn't fit any uh, sort of typical mold of a, a college student, but... College students don't fit them all. Well, here's what that backstory gives you. Like, I understand, like, the whole, like, oh, I'm going to Harvard because my boyfriend broke up with me. On the surface, that doesn't seem like a great motivation. But what it does have is an emotional core to it. There's, mm-hmm. like, there's a, there's, you get to see what matters 
to her and it matters to her that she is perceived as superficial. Mm-hmm. It matters to her that she is not making enough of an impact. Um, and that pushes her to do good things without that sort of, here's what matters to her. All we get is that superficial quality that people sort of pick up on. And we see that she's actually pretty good at law school. And we see that she's a nice person. But we don't really see what is at the heart of Elle Woods in this pilot. Um, She's just sort of there doing her shtick. mm -hmm. And so I didn't have as much rooting interest. The other thing I reason I don't have as much rooting interest is Reese Witherspoon is a better Elle Woods. <laughs> I mean that that's fair. I, well, I mean she she did originate the role. True. It's it's hers. Um this is a, a slightly different uh, even bubblier uh version. Is that a fair I assessment? Think it's fair. Yeah, I she's think, I think it's a very effervescent, very Yeah, like very, she, like hyper cheerful version uh, of almost her like a, a almost like like a I hate to say it, but like a Saved by the Bell type uh, mm-hmm. character. Oh, yeah. I think she, that's fine. She, she plays a lot more broad in this. And I'm guessing, given the level of humor, uh, that this was aimed at kind of, was meant to be aimed at, uh, uh, intended for a younger audience. Right. Well, and that's probably, mm. that, that, that may or may not be like, true. Uh, but that, like, is, that is younger than the film. Like, the. <sighs> and which you could see with Red, White, and Blonde as well, directed by the same guy, how. They made it less about sort of a, a woman co- coming into her own and succeeding at law school because she found she had a talent and a passion and the intelligence to do it. Mm-hmm. It became about saving a friggin' dog. And, <laughs> That's true. Uh, you know, it, it, it assumed that the people who were watching Legally Blonde over and over again did have some sort of emotional connection to Bruiser the Chihuahua. Yeah. More than I, more than perhaps they should have or more than I did. I think we have a connection to Elle, though, and mm-hmm. I think it's because... Partially because it's actually there in the writing, and partially because Reese Witherspoon is actually an exceptionally good actor. Mm. Um, she brought a lot of depth to this role. With a lot of the lines in this sitcom are actually like perfectly good lines, mm. and Jennifer Hull is delivering them fine. But she just doesn't have anything else to bring to them. Like, uh, I'm the first Aquarius in my family in three generations. That's a bragging <laughs> point. That's like her trying to sell herself to a landlady. Uh, I'm on a first name basis with Tom Hanks. I call him Tom. That was cute. That's a funny line. I like that line. Um, First of all, I'm a natural blonde with Mm. highlights. (laughs) That's a funny line. But like when all you've got are the funny lines and cheerfulness... I'm not really invested in what you got going on. I well, really... like, this is this is why I posit that it's for a younger audience. It's more about the jokes and the humor than it is about caring deeply about Elwood's arc. Well, I argue because all, that... all we're going to see is it's a single camera, non laugh track sitcom. We should say that. Mm-hmm. I, I guess uh, they could have added one, but I doubt uh, they would. Usually, uh, I, they don't for single camera. This probably would have played better had it been a multi cam, like a three camera in front of a live studio audience type of sitcom. Mm-hmm. With, you know, with a laugh track and all the rest. However obnoxious it might have been, the type of humor and the level of humor that they're going for would have played better in that sort of live environment. Fair enough. Um, so, the, the again, there are two plots here. One is a mock trial. Uh, one is trying to get an apartment. Which one do you want to tackle first? Uh, the mock trial. Okay. Th- that's the A plot. Um the mock trial is about uh, defending... And it, it's, it's, it's imaginary. Defending... Uh, or prosecuting a man who wanted to join the women's field hockey team because ain't no rule says a boy can't join the girls' 
f- field hockey team. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Isn't and, it inspiring that he is? Blah blah blah. And it's part of a constitutional law class, so they have to argue it in terms of constitutional rights. Mm-hmm. You know, staging it under the First Amendment and what have you, and. They come up with some innovative arguments. It doesn't seem like something they would have at Harvard Law, like uh, that that sort of trial. But it's, mean, it's, it's, it's easily a, digestible, and it's kind and it's kind of silly. So it's easy for us to get wrap our right. minds around. And, and it is a perfectly valid conversation mm. to have yeah. uh, as as a legal um, entity. And L is actually giving kind of the short shrift on this because there's legal precedent on the other side. And she's mm. basically just come up with a halfway decent counter argument. And her counter argument is not unreasonable. Mm. I, I'll give the I give the this was written by uh, Rachel Sweet. Yeah, the, the, the singer, Rachel Sweet. Who sang the theme? Oh, you're right. Yeah, she sang the theme song to Hairspray. She had a had a few hits. Yeah, and uh, then she uh, she produced shows like Hot in Cleveland and mm-hmm. Two Broke Girls and yeah, Rachel Sweet's been everywhere. Yeah, good for her. Um, so like the the counter argument Elle puts together with her partner, some guy, mm-hmm. uh, is you have a constitutional right to free speech, but you do not have a constitutional right to yell fire in a crowded theater. Mm-hmm. So a giant like linebacker. Uh, playing a sport full mm. of people with who aren't at the same sort of physical mm. size as him is he may have a constitutional right to do it, but it is not considerate of the safety of others. Mm. And I'm, I'm forced to be like, you know, that's 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 a valid point. We have uh-huh. to argue that. <laughs> we have to argue that. There's there's a point there. I don't know enough about the actual merits of the case to, to mm-hmm. make any sort of pointed judgment about it. But to be fair, I, this I, isn't one of those legal shows where someone just has some stupid bullshit that they throw out yeah. because they've never read a law book. This actually actually sounds like a valid conversation. I honestly thought that the uh, the argument was because they, as part of their stage, they dra- they find the plaintiff mm. or they like stage a plaintiff and they have the, the guy helping out dress in the, his woman's field hockey uniform. Mm. Because he is required to he's, wear he's the required uniform. He's required to wear the uniform. And I honestly thought that they were going to make a, a, make, bring up the argument, this boy joined the girls field hockey team, but you call him a boy, but maybe she identifies as not a boy. I, and I really thought that's where, where they were going to go. It's like, well, but if she's a girl and is transitioning, then they, this is totally legit, right? And, they could have gone there. They didn't. And now you're even defend, touch it. defending trans rights, but this was in 2003. Uh, they, yeah, and they weren't. They weren't going to touch it. So. Yeah. Um, her opponent, her arch nemesis, mm. if you will. The Selma Blair-ish character. Yeah, it's not literally the Selma Blair character. She played Vivian Kensington, and this mm. character is Keaton Winthrop. <laughs> uh, and, and, and uh, she's a, a, a more interesting character than Elle. Uh, in a lot of ways. Actually. Mm. We find out we, we find out more about her motivation mm. and her character and her soul than we ever find out about Elle in this. Um, well, she, she's mean, and we learn a little bit why she's mean and, like, what, yeah, what... She's all about. Yeah, uh, she's played by Caton Mallory, who is on a show called City Guys. Hmm. Of 105 episodes of City Guys. Holy crap. Um, and actually hasn't done any acting credits on IMDb since 2004. Uh, it's a shame, because I actually really like her. <laughs> um, she uh, she comes from a wealthy Boston family. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a whole bunch of politicians and lawyers and very important people. Mm-hmm. In her family, but they're all men. And it turns out that her mother wants her to be a socialite mm-hmm. because she's not going to be pretty for much longer. 
And uh, this is all she's never going to stack up to all the men in her family. And immediately, I'm on I'm on this young woman's side. <laughs> immediately, I want her well, because, to kick L out of that apartment. I uh, want her to win this damn thing. Hmm. I'm on her side because yeah, she's not nice. Mm-hmm. She's rude to L, but. She's also not wrong, and she argues her side of the case. She ends up winning the mock, the mock trial. She has a lot more going on than Elle Woods. I almost <laughs> would rather see her be the protagonist than Elle well, Woods be her side character. We, we do find at the end of the episode, however, that they're going to be co-stars. Yes. That the show's going to be about both of them. Yes, and that is actually and, and something probably, I'm excited about. And probably about their relationship. Mm-hmm. Because the, the B-plot is that... L is looking for a place to live. Yes. I, I guess Harvard doesn't have dorms. Uh-huh. Uh, and which, I, I'm afraid I don't know enough about Harvard Law to know about their living situations. Uh, what I what I do know is that uh, L. Woods is very rich. She's incredibly wealthy. Her but... family's wealthy and they're supportive of her. Mm. It's odd that it's such a problem for her to get an apartment. Well, and and uh, Keaton is also very wealthy. Yes. They're both incredibly wealthy, and yet they're fighting over a, a single... Like, there's only one apartment left in all of Boston. Mm-hmm. And, they, and, it's, and, and it's the size of the house I grew up in. Yeah, it's an like, enormous apartment. Like, you, There's a scene of Elle running around the apartment, and it takes a couple of minutes. <laughs> like, it's not a small place. It's huge. Mm-hmm. And yeah, L wants it. And it's really important that only one person have this gigantic space while they're going to law school. Ridiculous. Like, that would be full of like eight people at any real college town. In in each room. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so L wants it and Keaton wants it. And the difference is, Keaton, we find out, is basically being cut off by her family. Mm. Like, you're going to law school. Before going to law school. Yeah, you're going to law school. You're really going to pursue this? Fine. We're not going to help you. Mm hmm. So she actually, like, by all, like... Need, needs it more. She needs yeah. it way more. And Elle basically wins through sheer force of charm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a montage of her and Keaton both trying to, like, butter up the landlady. Um, and it turns out the landlady gave it to Elle because she used to be blonde. What? Mm-hmm. That's a good reason. What? And then Elle actually says, I knew you were a blonde at heart. And I'm like, What? Is this an actual thing? Your your heart has blonde hair? There's this weird thing in the movies where there was like, oh, blondes. <laughs> oh, where blondes are terrible. Mm. And I'm just like, that's not a thing, right? And according to the show, yeah, oh, apparently it's like this weird secret skull and bones cult where you get everything handed to you. Don't, don't you, you remember that? About? Don't you remember that spate of blonde jokes that were really hot yes. in like the late 90s? Yes. Yeah, I, I don't think, I don't. I don't know if that's still a thing. Are blonde jokes I haven't heard still those, told? I, haven't, I hope not. I haven't heard those told in forever. Yeah, I haven't heard anyone actually I, tell. I, one I, of I still remember a lot forever. too, and I haven't told one in a while because there's no reason to because anymore. They're, they're, they're tasteless not hip and anymore. terrible. They're well, tasteless I mean, and terrible. Most jokes are tasteless and terrible. That's not the point. Well, that can be the point. Um. So yeah. So. Blondes were vilified is the point And that's why why Legally Blonde was so revolutionary at the time Okay, Because all blondes were considered Dumb and not worthy of your attention So Mm -hmm. here's a blonde A blonde Going to law school yeah, <laughs> which is fine. It's a good story. Yeah, and again, mo- I still like pop. Yeah. And for the record, I still really like the original Legally Blonde. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a bit messy at parts, it's, mm-hmm. but uh, it's it's very very good. The sequel is 
pretty stupid, but I don't hate it. The third one we were not even going to mention. Let us not. Although, actually, when I was doing my research on this pilot, of which there was almost nothing. There's, there's yeah, very little information. Very little. Like, we know it was ABC. We know Rachel Sweet was going to produce it with Mark Platt, who also produced the movies. The full cast isn't even on IMDb. <laughs> like, it's... There's hardly any articles. There's a couple of announcements. Um, there's a couple... I read one false report, or maybe uh, uh, the plans changed, that it was going to be like a two-hour pilot, so they could tell it as a TV movie. Mm. That didn't happen. But what I did discover was, possibly... Legally Blondes was also supposed to be a TV pilot. Oh, it was an idea for a pilot, which they spun out into a straight-to-video movie. I don't have, like, a lot of confirmation on that, but I buy that, like, as, like, some Mm. Disney channel. I I could see it as, like, like something for... A Nickelodeon, you know, ABC family. Legally Blonde, like, a distant echo of Legally Blonde for Mm -hmm. kids in the late 2000s. Because Legally Blondes was about Elle Woods' Young identical twin cousins from England who mm. moved to Beverly Hills and, uh, and who are un- unfortunately born without personalities. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 one of the most disposable movies I've ever seen. Uh, like yeah, it's just yeah. really, uh, it's neither here nor there. Um, you know, I've never seen Once Upon a Time in the West, <laughs> yet I have room in my repertoire to watch Legally Blondes. I'm glad that's the way my mind you has. You made your choice. <laughs> you made this, your choice. This is the path I'm on. It is the path I'm on, and I cannot deviate. I want to talk about the men in Legally Blonde, the series. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I like about it is that there are very few of them. Yeah. Like, it's not really important. There's, like, this, like, kind of hunky guy who, like, works across the street from Elle's new apartment. But he's more like a helper guy than a love interest. I get the impression that it's they probably would have pushed, like, some sort of mutual attraction that blossoms over time mm-hmm. but yeah they're not they're not pushing it very far what's weird is there's a character who plays a lot like Elle's boyfriend from the movies but isn't and he looks like a kind of a beefier Kirk Cameron <laughs> oh yeah that guy like Kirk Cameron but he worked out like yeah. a, a bit Buck Cameron <laughs> I don't know his name because he didn't give the full credit. Drake Cameron. <laughs> Buck Cameron. <laughs> Buck Cameron is Keaton is uh, uh, Keaton's partner in mm. the mock trial, and he he has this weird thing. They're both they're they're all studying in like the the legal library, mm. like late at night, and they sort of look at each other from across the room, just like it's on mm. kind of thing. And then he just, slowly, he slowly unbuttons his shirt and walks over to her to try to seduce her and distract her with his sexiness. Mm. And I'm like, huh? Well, you and I are film critics, which means we don't have that superpower. Oh, we, we, we certainly do not. We can't unbutton our shirts and seduce anybody. Usually, Usually people when, run. Yeah. When, when we do that, we get arrested. Um, yeah. But may, maybe it would have worked. Well, what I think is interesting if is... If you're a hunky enough dude, if if I was Chris Pine, I would try that all the time. It implies... And Elwood is actually like... She she does get the vapors. You a know, little, there, there's a little, a little bit. bit where she's just like, oh but my. You, you can tell she's not buying it, though. Like, she's I, like, well, this is hot, but you're not distracting. Yeah, yeah. Like, she, she doesn't, like, fall for it or nothing. Mm-hmm. But there's a moment where she's just like... Very nice. <laughs> nice try. Well done. I respect. Well I respect what you try. But I like that she's like again. I like this Elle Woods on paper. I just think that there's there's not enough to her. Mm. Like I like that she's like 
that she's a sexual person, that mm-hmm. she actually has a libido. I like that that doesn't get in the way of her being a great law student. <laughs> and I it's, like that and it's it, not a plot point. It's just part of who she is. I like that it doesn't get in the way of her having uh, what would be considered traditionally feminine interests. I like that it doesn't get in the way of her personal sense of style. I like Yale Woods. I, and I, I like, want to support all of her adventures. I also love, I'm, I'm beginning to appreciate more and more films and TV shows that offer us the female gaze. Uh, it's yeah. it's really rare. I mean, what, what was the last movie that did it? Thor. I mean, it's really difficult uh, to point 50 out. Fifty Shades. So, oh yeah, Shades I guess movies. the Fifty Shades movies yeah, as for well. Better or worse, yeah. Just the the ones that really luxuriate and sexualize male bodies for a heterosexual female audience, mm-hmm. uh, very openly. I, I feel like there's so few movies that bother to do that. And, and so I'm, I'm, I appreciate it, and I'm, I'm beginning to become a little bit more aware when it happens. It's intriguing, the sort of subtle differences. Just camera angles you'd normally not see. Mm. Um, sort of... Uh, uh, well, the way, oh, the way that uh, a man's flesh would be lit, for instance. Yeah. Like it's like not just a shirtless guy. We're going to like really put him front and center. We're going to see the texture on his pecs. Like, like enjoy. Yeah. Like, this Look is at that. for you mm. kind of moment. And then he picks up a a bowl of canola oil and pours it down his shirt. (laughs) What was the weird scene about... What was the weird Dido subplot in the Legally Blonde pilot? Explain this to me, because this was like... This felt so forced. Do you remember Dido? Of course I remember Dido. Okay. Dido was fine. Dido was was a a hot ticket item. Was the other... Who was the the act who did Perfect Day? Hoku. She was the other Hoku. Yeah. (laughs) I'd say she was the other Jill Sabuel. Fine. No, no, no. I like that. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I actually like or, Dido. Or, or Poe. They're, they're all Poe, Dido, and Jill Sabuel all came up at the same time in, in my brain. There's this, so there's so they're this, all kind of the same in my so brain. So Elle is trying to get this apartment, and she steps into a, I don't know what it is, like a knickknack store across the street, mm. and she runs into hunky but boy next door literally type. Uh, and his dad, who I think was the dad from Fargo. Oh, was it? It looked to me like William H. Macy's father-in-law from Fargo. Okay. I'm not 100% sure, but it looked like him. I, I, yeah, I can say. And uh, the gag is Elle. You know, Elle has a tendency to meet random people and mm. bond very, very quickly over shared interests and uh, shared passions and loves. And this old dude loves Dido. He's a big fan. And so does Elle. And they just won't stop talking about Dido. And he's like, well, I happen to know the landlady across the street. She's a bit deaf, so you might need to to, to go around the back door. Here, I'll show you. Anything for a Dido fan? And I'm like, how much did Dido pay you? Okay. How I, much did Dido pay I, you? I, I actually just had to look up Dido's discography, and it turns out she had a new record in 2003. Uh-huh. So the, the, the label is clearly paying for something yeah. to hype that new record. It was her second album, and they needed to get Dido in the public consciousness tonight's episode of legally blonde featured music by By, dido by dido dido hoku (laughs) rimba (laughs) rimba sneezems (laughs) now you're just listing pokemon (laughs) meowth (laughs) and the parliament funkadelic yeah in the the late 90s uh the single singer song female singer songwriters also had the names of pokemon (laughs) dido i choose you use your coffee house soulfulness attack I still like Dido. 
I like Dido too. Okay, I'm just. I just think making it clear. we're I think not making fun of Dido. We're not making fun I, of. Okay, I also like. Fine. I also like Jill Selvio. I also <laughs> like Poe. So we're we're all good. One of my first concerts ever was a Poe concert. Really? Yeah. It was cool. Oh, I'm jealous. It was cool. It was at a uh, uh, an event uh, mm-hmm. to promote Blair Witch Two. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. That was a hell of a thing. That was the that Wait, was, was the th- day that I met. Um. Um. Uh, what's his name? The dude from Freaky Links. Oh, Ethan Embry. I met Ethan Embry at that party. Very nice. Okay. <laughs> it's big, all coming full circle in some strange way. It's all for you, David. It's all for you. I met Ethan Embry at a Poe concert that tied into the sequel to the Blair Witch Project. Might be one of the most the year 2000 things <laughs> that you could possibly say. That's about right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It all like circles right in on that drain. Am I forgetting anything about Legally Blonde? Because like mm-hmm. the, the the show, I mean, because it's a short pilot. Like yeah, it's, it's a twenty minute pilot. It's not even like an hour long. Well, and there is one common actress uh, that I spotted between the the movie and the TV series, and it was the teacher. They got the the professor character. Oh, back. that's right. It was her. Again. Yeah, it was the same professor. She has she has a good line uh, in the middle of the mock trial. It's like, can we wrap this up? My nicotine patch is wearing off. That was a good line. Yeah. <laughs> so she's good. I, I liked her mm. a lot. Um, but um, it, it was it was a little too shenanigan-y for me. Yeah. Uh, it, it felt a little too loose and light and silly. When you know this, it could have played better as. A funny law show, and I know we had plenty of those. I mean, we talked about Doubt, which was like a law show that had a lot of serious plots, but also had like a few lighter plots and funny cases from time to time. Uh, It was like a more serious version of Ally McBeal, which was kind of setting the tone for all of this. And I think if it was the Legally Blonde uh, Ally McBeal ripoff, it might have been a better show, even though it would have been a... Very clearly trying to emulate what Ali McBeal was doing. Uh, someone was saying this, and I'm trying to remember who it was, mm. but uh, I'm not going to take credit for it. Um, you were talking about horror comedies. Uh-huh. And there's two different basic breeds of horror comedy. There's horror movies that are a horror movie first, and then there's also humor. And mm. then there's horror movies where they're a comedy first, but ha, someone's a vampire. Somebody dies, yeah. Yeah, there's no, someone's a vampire. Or someone's okay. a werewolf, and who, who cares? With the possible exception of Hotel Transylvania, usually the second version sucks. <laughs> because well, come on, look at something like Hocus Pocus. People love that thing. Okay, fine. But, but I said usually. Okay. Um, because you want to be able to take what's going on a little seriously. Mm. Um, and I think that Legally Blonde, I think you're right. I think had it focused on being a law a lawyer show with a protagonist who happens to be funny, <clears throat> I think they would have had a little bit more grounding and we would have been a little bit more invested. Because that's really what it boils down to for me. Part of it is uh, the writing because they really don't put anything really human mm-hmm. in there for Elle to really talk about in a meaningful way. Part of that, I think, is the performance. I, I, I think that uh, Jennifer Hall, for all her talents, didn't nail the character the way Reese Witherspoon did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's her version of the character. I think it's it's a, but, fi- fine that she did that. But it's but it's a flightier version of the character, mm-hmm. and it didn't grab me the way that Reese Witherspoon's did. Um, so they focused on the sitcom bits first and foremost, and yeah. everything else took a back seat. And as a sitcom, it's okay. Mm. I, I, be honest, how, <laughs> how much did you laugh? Uh, the nicotine patch line made me laugh. The, the Dido stuff made me kind of scratch my head a little bit, which I appreciate. Okay. If something can baffle me truly, then I'm, I'm sometimes appreciative. <laughs> like, I think I, I laughed at the Tom Hanks line, I laughed at the nicotine patch line, mm. and I think that's it. That's not a good average for a pilot. Yeah. Because and, a pilot needs to be good, 
and also show promise. I think the promise well, is it, here, but it's not really that good right now. Did it establish that. enough to carry a series? I think would be the real like if if you're an executive, you were shown this. Do you understand everything you need to know need to know about this series? I think they here's what I think they screwed up. Hmm. I think the meat of the series is L and Keaton mm-hmm. living together. Yeah. That's that's the humor. That's what I want to see. That's they're the original odd couple. Like mm. that's what I want. The pilot should have been all about that. About them moving in together immediately. I think I think they should have I don't care if this is how it actually works at Harvard. I think they should have just gone to Harvard and they go the first day of school, they haven't enough time to move in, they go to class, they hate each other, and then boom, turns out they're roommates. Mm. That I want to see them interact because they are the stars. They're right. the point. And well, and that, it's, as it's, far this as is all we, about the plot. I want the characters. As, the as far as we all know, I mean, this was a pilot, and you know, pilots do have to establish the the universe. <clears throat> yeah, which means at the end of the pilot, we're left with the premise, and when they move in together, we have the premise. So, what you're asking for is what the show possibly could have been. Possibly, but I'm and, not. And what seeing... I'm guessing that that might have been what this show was supposed to be was an odd couple thing about these two law students who are completely different, living together, trying to study, trying to succeed together, but constantly resenting one another for their lifestyles. But I think it falls upon the pilot uh, to show what a future episode is going to be like. Okay. No other episode is going to be like this one because after this, they're living together. Mm. We need to get to that a little bit. For example, we had this conversation uh, when we talked about Legally Blonde 1 in the critically acclaimed episode where you argued that perhaps the first movie didn't need the trial at the end and it was more satisfying just to see her graduate from Harvard Law. Yeah. And my argument was the whole point was we wanted to see her become a lawyer and actually like achieve at mm. the job, not just graduate from school. So they managed to, so the, by so the end they, of the they, movie, they, get they, the pilot episode in right at the end. I, I feel like they they skipped the her graduating law school and just put her on trial immediately so we could have that scene and then walked it back so we could watch her graduate law school after that. Perhaps, but I think that's something that a pilot is responsible for doing when mm. you look at pilots of various things that we've seen, pilots that we liked, like uh, Journeyman is one that had a good pilot, mm. where they had to establish... Here are the whole bunch of characters. Here's a whole bunch of backstory. Here's time travel. Here's time travel mechanics. The main character has to learn that organically. And, and there's there a needs, love story. <laughs> and there needs to be an A plot. So like a thing he <laughs> solves by going back in time. It doesn't have to be the most intricate and ornate plot, but it needs to give you a taste of what future episodes are going to be. The only other... Uh, the only moment that gave me a taste of what the future episode is going to be is like the last line in the pilot, which is another one that actually made me laugh, which is where... Um, Keaton goes to Ellen and says they're at the apartment. He says, okay, we need to figure out how the bathroom situation is going to work. And we need to go with a schedule for the bathroom. And Ellen says, oh, I already did that. You can use it when I'm not using it. Mm. And then Keaton's like, Ugh. and I was like, oh, that was funny. <laughs> and then I was just like, okay, see, I want to see more of that. But I didn't see enough of it to have the confidence that it's mm. going to work. Uh, well, I mean, we like both of these characters. L- I, I like Keaton. You like I Keaton. I don't particularly like this version of L. Okay, but you were you eager to see this version of L and Keaton interact? I think that would have been better than what we got. I don't okay. know. If, I don't know if but, eager is the right word. Is it the show you wanted to see? Because that's what they gave us at the end of the pilot. So you, you're. I saying, didn't know it was the show I wanted to see, but uh, now I realize that what I really wish I'd seen was mm. that opening scene. I want to see the second episode of this before I make any decisions. But here's the thing: if I'm a TV executive, mm. is it really worth it? 
And honestly, I don't think I would. I don't it, think I would go for it. It, it has a known, uh, known name. Has a known, it's a known IP, as they say. Yeah, intellectual property. And they, uh, they gave you the premise that you said you kind of wanted, and it has a character that is well beloved. Uh, is this a case where maybe they could have recast the lead actress? In episode one, it and so, saved it. See, I this is why I can't be a TV executive because mm. that sounds so mercenary to me. Well, but you're an executive; you make those mercenary decisions. We see it happen all the time. Actors change. I would love how many bla- would, how okay. many Blackjack Savages were there. Okay, you know what? Fair, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Aww. There were there were two Blackjack Savages. Um, that's fair. Mm. That's that's a good point. Um, I think a Legally Blonde TV show is a good idea. Okay. I don't think this pilot represents the best version of that idea. Okay. So if you want to reshoot it, I might say okay. <clears throat> but this exact version of Legally Blonde, this I don't I don't want 100 episodes of this. Okay. Um I want to get where you're going with this. Like if yeah. I if I for me, if I had read this script, I think I would have just I think I would have sent it back for a rewrite saying, "Here's what here's the meat and potatoes of the series. Get to that faster." Yeah. It it feels like they're just sort of it, it. It was a little too light on its feet for its own good. Like yeah. it, it, it was going to be just the adventures and of, of L at law school, which is a fine enough premise. But good yeah, premise. I'll, I'll watch that. There was a little too much that was titillating beyond that. That is is hooking you and not hooking you quite enough. I think. Yeah. Like you 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 focused on the interesting bits that were kind of throw offs in the script. Like Those the, are the best parts. Yeah. All the all the stuff that they thought was the selling point mm. is the least interesting stuff, and that's not encouraging. Mm. That's my point. But the obviously the IP is sound. Obviously the basic idea is sound. So yeah, I would like to see another pass at this, but no, I don't think I understand why they didn't pick this one up. Okay, I think I, I think that's safe to say. Um, what about you? I I uh, it's not a show I would have watched, but it's not a show I would have minded, uh, and I I think it could have done just fine uh, moving on to series, provided they didn't necessarily air this pilot. <laughs> yeah, they probably should have skipped it. So the, the pilot, of again, this is the kind of thing that's made for studio executives only. It's not necessarily made for public consumption. And I think had they started on episode one and started airing on episode one, it would have been fine. And I think it would have been able to find its feet because the premise is interesting enough, because Elle is a fun enough character, and because that relationship... It, it was titillating enough. It would have been uh, intriguing for for us. So you're so you're saying that this show was canceled mm. too soon? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll right. say that. I'll All say right. Legally Blonde was canceled too soon. All right. Well, I'm not. I'm not passionate. I, I, yeah, about I, it, I can't. But I I, I'm not. As you can see, I'm not pushing really hard. I'm not saying this definitely needed to be a show. But yeah, sure. Canceled too soon. Right. There was another Legally Blonde show, but it was about casting someone in the Legally Blonde musical. It's a reality show. And, and, uh, yeah, that didn't. We don't. Quite we still count. haven't really delved much into that. Mm. Uh, there's going to come a day when we really we're just going to have a reality reckoning. We'll have, have a reality reckoning month. Oh God, <laughs> why are you why are you phrasing it like that? That sounds so scary. Now. Um, mm. So that's legally blonde. Bit of a short episode because there's only so much to talk about. Yeah. Uh, but we do have time for a couple of letters, I hope. Yeah. Um, but also. Um, we want to thank everyone uh, who supports us on Patreon uh, and let you know that right about now we have a new uh, poll up on Patreon. Uh, every month, our Patreon subscribers get to help us decide on a future episode. And in the month of July, you're going to get a whole bunch of mostly forgotten 
1970s, 1980s type sci-fi shows. Mm. <laughs> so uh, head on over to the patreon.com slash cancel too soon website uh to to make your voice heard because we yeah. want to we we want to surprise you we have like weird resources but we also want to give you the programming you want yeah, yeah so thank everybody for subscribing and head on over for that what sort of letters do we have um letters that my phone isn't letting me open this is really frustrating all right have you got some uh, yeah this one comes from rabbi joe hi rabbi joe shalom uh dear bibs and whitney uh shalom from jerusalem Wow. Listener from Jerusalem. Hello. Uh, I discovered this podcast from Bibb's last appearance on Screen Junkies Movie Fights, so it's only appropriate that as I finally listened through all of them, Bibbs is back there. Uh, thank you for your sacrifices, gentlemen. You have <laughs> given new meaning to the word redoubtable. Wow. Nice. Thank you. Nice. Thank you for that. Uh, I think you mentioned in a mailbag segment that you have Voyagers, exclamation point. Uh, we do. Uh, that's probably the first network show that I can remember from ba- from back when a semi-shirtless grown man could travel through time and space with a young boy and nobody batted an eye. <laughs> oh, God. The former was killed on the set of his next show, while the latter is Punky Brewster's brother. I assure you, this is as real as the 100 Lives of Blackjack Savage. Oh, we're going to get to Voyagers. Probably sooner, now that you've mentioned that. Uh, so it has my vote. I'm guessing that makes two, maybe three. <laughs> anyway, thank you for the many hours of enjoyment. I'm sending you a few spare shuckles. Oh, thank you. It was thank worth it just much. to see Sher- uh, Sergio. All the best, Rabbi Joe. Well, thank you. Um, here's an email from Francis, and mm-hmm. he says the following. Before I get into my criticism of the show, which is my specialty, considering I complained about the length of the theme song, mm-hmm. I'd like to remind you I definitely enjoy listening and check out each and every episode. Mm-hmm. That said, uh oh, I loved hearing Sam Levine on the Selfie and Freaks and Geeks episodes, as he's got a lot of pers- uh, a ton of personality and is a blast to listen to. I thought he fit in with the two of you quite well, but these weren't episodes of Cancelled Too Soon. They were great interviews, but they lacked the in-depth exploration of the series expected from the show. I think episodes like the Levine entry should be a benefit for the Patreon subscribers and leave the regular episodes to the established format. I honestly feel like the fabulous Freaks and Geeks got short shrift because of Levine's presence, even if it was an enjoyable episode to listen to. Listening to the It's Vern episode hammered this point home to me, which explains why it took me until now to write this email. Obligatory cancel too soon suggestion. Father of the Pride, an animated <laughs> oh, sitcom no. about Siegfried and Roy's lions that mm. was really funny, really filthy, and featured an all-star mm. cast including John Goodman, Cheryl Hines, and Carl Reiner, and a ridiculous guest roster with names like Kelsey Grammer, Eddie Murphy, Lisa Kudrow, Gary Marshall, Dana Gould, Danny DeVito, and mm. way more. We know Father of the Pride. Yeah, we we're know well Father of the Pride. Pride. Uh, as for your critique, um. That's fair. It, it's fair. We, yeah. we, do, we don't get to do just the you and I bantering and trying to, to unlock the secret of it. But when we know somebody who has answers, it, it would behoove us to sort of go in and figure that out. And as you perhaps heard on the selfie episode, I I was the asshole who said he didn't like a lot of things about the TV series selfie. And I was the asshole who said he didn't like a lot of things about Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, so we, we can still get our nitpicks in. But you're right, it is a different vibe. It's a, but it, yeah, it's a different type of show. And uh, I think that's a fair point, and I think perhaps in the future, when we have guests, um, mm. I don't know if it'll be a Patreon exclusive or not, but maybe we'll review the show and have a separate have segment. Like, yeah, like a interview. bonus episode. That's probably a good idea. Mm. Um 
thank you for your observation. That's constructive criticism and mm-hmm. really appreciate it. I'd like to hear from others about that. Like, do, yeah. do, you, do you like it when we have guests or do you prefer when it's just us? And it's and when we say guests, there's guests as in like Alonzo Duralde or mm-hmm. Brian Chandler or Drew McQueenie, people who just want to talk about the show. And then there's guests who are actually involved mm-hmm. like Sam Levine or Brian Drewhart. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if you have any particularly strong thoughts on the matter. Let us know. Our email is canceled too soon at gmail.com. For reading on the show or not. Uh, Here's one from Danny. Um, I just wanted to say thanks for talking about cop rock. Uh, This was my first time listening to your show. I found it because of April Wolf. She mentioned it on Who Shot Ya, and I'm glad I did. My husband and I watched every episode of Cop Rock when it originally aired. I love that show, but I recognize it as the butt of a joke for most people. Even though I haven't watched it since 1990, your discussions brought back memories of the various plot lines and songs. It was nice to hear someone take a look at it seriously instead of hearing the concept and dismissing it without actually watching it. Um, Yeah, I I was glad we did that, too, and that's kind of our job here, is to find the value in things that are kind of jokes. Manimal, still kind of a joke. Yeah. I don't see why... I don't I don't think Manimal's like a joke. It's not terrible. It's more boring than anything. The idea is funnier than the show. Yeah. And the yeah. fact of the matter is the show was unavailable and so short-lived for so long uh, that most people only knew the idea or yeah. they only saw a commercial for it or they vaguely remembered one episode. And, and Cop Rock, yeah, it's one of those things where people make fun of the premise more than they make fun of what happened on the show because they didn't watch the show. And I, and I still think the show was uh, was a mess, honestly. If, and, you yeah, liked it a lot. I liked I, it a lot. I, I, think, uh, uh, I don't think they ever right, found the right balance between mm. musical and serious drama. Um, and practically every episode, there was some sort of whiplash between stupid song <laughs> and holy crap, a serious examination of racism. Like, and it just, they never gelled together. It wasn't mm. like they were fighting each other, but it was interesting. Mm. It was interesting to watch the show. Like it's, it's a fascinating mm. watch. Uh-huh. So I, I would never tell anyone not to see it mm. because it's just like, pff, you ain't seen nothing like that. Ain't seen nothing like it. Yeah. It's an, it's really ambitious here here's a brief letter from josh uh hey guys i saw your tweet about you receiving emily's reasons why not ah uh, this was this was a wise use of my leftover amazon gift card balance <laughs> oh, thank <you> so much. <laughs> well thank you for using a gift card on us uh, i bet the review is going to be a great listen well i certainly hope so we're, we're gonna get to that sooner than uh, later we're, we're making a concerted effort to do more sitcoms and animation this year we mentioned that several times mm-hmm. um again we do have an amazon wish list there's a lot of stuff on there um sometimes people add things things mm. they just send us stuff that isn't on that list that's fine we just want to remind you to make sure it fits the rules which is one season or less mm. so don't send us something with a season and a half uh because we want to try to focus on the, yeah. the yeah, mission yeah. statement of the show but every donation has been cataloged and we know that there's a whole bunch we haven't gotten to yet that's because there's a whole bunch <laughs> if we have if we're not getting to yours yet it means we're getting to someone else's there's a ton of stuff you guys have been really supportive of us, not just on Patreon, mm-hmm. but on the wish list, and we really appreciate that. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you a million times over. Mm. What have you got? Uh, this one comes from Topher. Hello, Topher. Hi. Uh, Topher, Topher writes in a lot. Sure does. Topher's a big fan. We like Topher. Topher kicks ass. Um, so the randomizer didn't win. Uh, that's true. Uh, hashtag sad now. <laughs> yeah. uh, for those who, who might be new to the program, uh, in April we tried out a whole bunch of pilot episodes for spin-off podcasts, which would be exclusive to our Patreon, one of which was called The Randomizer, in which mm-hmm. Whitney and I watched a random episode of a long-running show that we've never seen. Mm-hmm. And we tried to figure it out. 
Uh, we our, our pilot was on Desperate Housewives, mm-hmm. and uh, that did not get picked up for series. No, uh, although a lot of we it was our second most popular of the four pilots that we did, and a lot of people yeah, really well. dug it. And he says, uh, "You mentioned that you might occasionally pull out the randomizer in the future, and I had an idea. If this is going to be a rare thing." Make it a double rare thing. Only do the randomizer when you can have a guest on the podcast that really loves the series. Okay. Bring that someone on, talk about your guesses, then talk to them about what really happened on the show. That would be fun. And since you can only do the randomizer rarely, you could save it for special guest appearances. Just a thought. It's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. We definitely want to uh, try and, out the and, randomizer and, once in a and while. And he, he's will, he says he's willing to fly to Los Angeles to be a guest on one of the well, randomizer what's, episodes. What's, you got to let us know what shows uh, what shows you got. Yeah, because it, it would have to be one we don't know, but you do. Yeah. Um, here's a, here's one from R. Clay Johnson. R. Clay Johnson mm-hmm. uh, was the uh, winner R- of our big sweepstakes, and he got to choose the episode mm-hmm. uh, Hey Vern, It's Ernest. Uh-huh. Hey, guys. I just listened to the episode for Hey Vern, It's Ernest. First, just let me say... I'm sorry. <laughs> I was hoping to pick something that would be more interesting than painful. Clearly, I failed. <laughs> I tried watching the show along with you guys. I only mm. made it halfway through before I had to stop for fear of my mental health. Mm. I agree with your assessment. The show felt manic and largely unfunny. I loved your mock-up episode, and I think it would probably would have been the best of the show. <laughs> George gets a driver's license. It's perfect. Mm. Jim Varney was obviously a very talented performer. While I would have loved to see more diverse roles from him, the fact that he was also so heavily involved in the production of the Ernest films proves that it must have been a labor of love. Mm. Thank Thanks for the review. Well, thanks again for the suggestion. As you can probably tell from that episode, Whitney and I grew up with Ernest P. Worrell. Yeah, he, we, he, he was just in our living rooms. We have, we have a soft spot for him, even though a lot of his stuff is not very good. Um, I, 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 would, I would have described it as funny when I was nine. Yeah. But I think I, I thought Ernest Goes to Camp was the bee's knees in er- 1987. I'll stand by the first like three or four Ernest movies mm. as perfectly okay kids entertainment. Mm. And Ernest Saves Christmas, genuinely good Christmas movie. Okay. I'm going to throw that out there. Fair. Uh, But, uh, yeah, you know, here's the thing. When we talk about how painful it is to watch something, we're fine. We're fine. We're fine. (laughs) We we, we can handle it. It hurts, but we're we're near to the pain. Yeah, it's fine. The worst, the worst, honestly, honestly, Mm. the worst is when it's a show that I just don't care about one way or another <laughs> and then i just <laughs> the, feel the, like the, i'm just ticking off the hours yeah, you know like with, yeah. with something that like haven was was actually like it was cute and it was short like yeah. even though there was a bunch of episodes they were only 20 minute long mm. burn through that in an afternoon but like you know sometimes you watch like a 20 episode series and you're just like oh god please just i'm done i get it i know everything you're gonna do i don't care oh, but if it's weird to- and totally painful call, I, totally I don't know call. how you're gonna hurt me <laughs> This is exciting. At least hurt me in an interesting way. (laughs) Which is what I say to the the maniac who stalks me. So if you if you get an opportunity to pick an episode of Cancelled Too Soon, Mm. uh, like personally, like in one of our occasional sweepstakes, Mm. never feel guilty, man. Just we'll we'll do whatever you want. As long as we can find it, as long as it fits the rules, Mm. we'll do it. We will do it. This is our job. I keep posting like things on Twitter, like now watching, mm-hmm. and it'll be like some like some piece of crap. I'm usually watching it for critically acclaimed, right? Like I'm watching Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds, and I get a whole bunch of people saying, "Why?" And I'm like, like, "Because I'm a critic. This is this is my job, dude. This is the job. We can't just take everyone's word for it that these things suck. Every once in a while, we have to revisit it and just go, "Yep, yeah, you're right. Yep." There's, there's nothing to re- sometimes you can reevaluate something. and sometimes it's better than you remembered sometimes mm. it's better than you've heard 
Yeah. But oftentimes it's just sort of checking in. Hey, does this movie still suck? It does. Neat. Hudson Hawk was just as good as I remembered, and I was happy to discover that. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Here's a letter from Alan. Hello, Alan. Okay. Hello, Bibbs and Whitney. In your previous episode, you said a good plot point would be about a sentient elevator that creates music. Well, it kind of already happened. Of course it did. Oh, dear. Back in the 80s, country music comedy artist Ray Stevens. Hi, Ray Stevens. Hi, Ray. Thanks for making 1,000 fucking records. <laughs> no one forced you to listen to those, Whitney. Look, it, it was a different time, all right? <laughs> In college, I, I fancied myself the next Dr. Demento. I had a radio show for one semester, and I listened to a lot of Ray Stevens. I picked up cassettes at gas stations <laughs> that had Buddy Hackett routines that even he's embarrassed about. Wow. All right. Back I'm jealous the, of you. I would have loved that gig. It, it was it a hurt. radio it, gig. It, yeah. Ra- radio, look, it was fun doing the radio gig, and yeah. I was constantly on the, the lookout for new comedy records. But my sort, my resources were very limited, so I just picked up what I could, and what I could afford. I couldn't go to Barnes and Noble every day, so I had to go to gas stations. You should have come up with your own material and pretended it was like long lost records. I should. I didn't have. I really that didn't have the cool. resources for that sort of thing. Oh, but I, I wish I could have. Totally done that with you. <laughs> had, had we met in college. Yeah. Problem is, I'm too old. We, we never went to the school well, at the same time. Well, you got held time. back. Oh, there, uh, in, this, in this fantasy of yours, I also got held back. Of course. Uh, am I also named Mooter, and I wear a tire on my forehead, and I'm just cool, and I surf? Sure. And I live on nachos and Dr. Pepper? Sure. That's my. Is that also in your fantasy? It is now. <laughs> it's all I can think about now. And I, I can make a bong out of origami. Uh <laughs> <laughs> this has gone way off the rails. Uh, back in the 1980s, country music comedy artist Ray Stevens had a song called Bionni and the Robotics about a music group composed of operating systems, and one was from an Otis elevator. There's a link to the song below. <laughs> Love the podcast. Keep up the good work, Alan. Thank, Thank you, you, Alan, Alan. For, for giving me painful, painful Ray Stevens flashbacks. Uh, here's, here's one from Anna. Hi, Anna. Uh, hello, the best Cancel Too Soon series critics I'm listening to. Aww. And there are a couple of us now. <laughs> there, there are other people who have stolen our idea, or maybe we stole theirs. It's hard to tell. I, I don't, we didn't steal. It's a, it's a good idea. People have been writing articles with this premise since before anyone started yeah. the podcast. So it's fine. It's fine. Mm. It is funny that there's more than one of us, that's all. Yeah. Uh, anyway, long-time listener, first-time writer. I will admit the usual, your show is the highlight of my commute. You're amazing. Thanks so much for the fun I had describing oh. my mother, oh, the car, sure. and trump card to my friends, and get straight to the topic. The letter from the adult industry professional in the VR5 episode reminded mm-hmm. me about a one-season reality online TV wonder. Hmm. Sex Factor. Sex Factor. Yes, it is like X Factor, America's Next Top Model, and whatever else there is like this. Participants (laughs) compete to be a professional porn actor. It is available online, and I watched parts of the first episode. It lasted only one season, and it's available, so I'm really looking forward to hear from you if it was canceled too soon, and where it would have gone if it had lasted 100 episodes. Oh my god. Is, Is it like actual pornography or is it just about people trying to break I, into the porn industry? I don't, I'm going to have to look into this. Like, cause com- competitive sex competitions just sounds like the, the plot of a porn movie. It, 
It is the plot of many uh, porn movies. I'm like, sure there's like thing. 117 variations on that now. Yeah. Uh, we will we will have to look into this and see. Oh my god, the picture of the contestants looks hilarious. No, you're looking at pictures of oh the, the sex factor. Oh, it's an X hamster original series. <gasps> oh, we got to do this. Oh my god, if it's X hamster, I bet there is. It is there pornography, not, isn't yeah, it? it? Oh, it's oh oh, it's legit oh, porn. It's legit it? porn. Okay. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> That's a maybe, Anna. <laughs> We're gonna look into that. Uh, P.S. from Anna. Separate thank you for introducing me to linoleum knife. I now have a relationship goal in mind. You're my friendship goal, though. Oh, thank you. I'm oh. sure they appreciate that from linoleum. Yeah. Knife, uh, uh, if if your relationship goal is to date Dave and Alonso, um, yeah, good luck with that. Uh, if your relationship goal is to have Dave and Alonso's relationship, uh, that's everyone's goal. Well, ev- everyone wants. That's to everyone's have. dream. Man. Like, is to be as happy and well adjusted, and smart <laughs> and sexy as those guys. That's a those good guys relationship have, yeah. to, to have a goal. Hmm. Uh, one more. One more. Um, this one has no sign off. Has okay. no name attached to it. So from um, anonymous. Yes. Uh, from A. Uh, I I when you write in. I know your email address and I know what name you attach to it, but I don't read that on the air because I don't, I don't know if you want that known to all of our listeners. So yeah. I go by the name you sign off on and this yeah. has no sign off. And if you don't so, sign off, we're not going to, um, we're not going to give your name out of, uh, maybe we're, we're being overly cautious, but just in case. Hedging, hedging our bets. Uh, this is addressed to Dear Commando Sushi and the Sexy Slice of Awesomeness. Which one do you want to be there? Well, I'm the one who likes sushi. So you're Commando Sushi. I'll okay. be Sexy Slice. And Sexy has two X's, Ooh. which makes it extra sexy. Is it, are they? Are they? Is one of them followed by hamster? Sex hamster. Sex hamster. A sexy hamster. I am like a sexy hamster. Mm, this is from X Hamster. Uh, okay, anyway, the Barbie and the Rockers episode has to be the funniest to date and definitely the funniest this season. Having seen my two nieces and having had two girls of my own, I can say that preschool girls really don't like anything with even a whiff of tension or conflict. So I think the creators were trying to spread out the age range of the intended audiences so very young girls would dig it. So, uh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. when you make a kids show, you're really trying to figure out like the people who make kids shows aren't kids; they're yeah. adults, and they're adults, and they're trying to figure out what kids like. Mm. That's the same thing with all kid-related merchandise, kid-related toys, kid-related food. Do kids want fruit by the foot? Like that's they're all trying to f- figure it out. And I'm sure someone had that theory that the target demo for Barbie and the Rockers wasn't looking for anything uh, uh, super hello. dramatic. But I think the irony is that Jim <laughs> and the holograms fruit by the foot. Hello, the- hello, young child. Here is ten inches of fruit. Sorry, old man. I only take my fruit by the foot. Kids love alliteration. Damn it. Um, but like I think Jim, the irony is that Jim and the holograms was a huge hit show, mm. and it had a ton of drama. And Barbie and the Rockers. Couldn't get off the ground. So, mm. yeah. I, common wisdom, maybe, but I don't always agree with it. Anyway, continuing. As for all this 80s nostalgia, I was 13 in 1980, and the whole decade seems like yesterday to me, and the 80s was the 80s as a whole just sucked. The music was terrible. The movies. I spent most of my time during the 1980s consuming pop culture from the 60s. You'd more often than not see me in a Paisley shirt and Beatles boots. The Reagan era was a time in history I did not want to be in and wanted no part of. Uh, Thanks for the podcast. Yours are so much better 
than the others on the network. I've tried to listen to them, but they always start out with a heavy metal guitar riff and say bro too much. And one of them even said, hey, did you see the game last night? In real life, I tried to avoid people like that. Cheers. <laughs> They're talking about um, uh, the, the critically acclaimed network, the show. Uh, <laughs> we're, 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 we give similar content to some of the other podcasts. Like other people review movies and stuff, mm-hmm. but... We have a very different vibe. <laughs> I, I think we do. There, there's very they, they. I've lost so many opportunities in the entertainment industry because I don't care about sports. Oh yeah, like, it's weird. Like I would like get a job at like a, an office. People mm-hmm. would, like who make movies, and I'm like, I'm just cool. I want to talk about all these movies, and it was like we talk about sports here, and I'm yeah. like, you make the movies. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> so it's not. It's never been my vibe. Yeah. I, I have nothing. Against, I used to have stuff against sports. I was immature and dumb. <laughs> uh, I have nothing against sports. Mm. And you, you just don't follow it. It's, it's fine. not my. It's not my thing. I follow sports uh, every other year when the Olympics come around. Then I become a complete sports fanatic just for the Olympics. I get involved. Here's the thing. I love competition. Mm. I'm happy about competition. And if I, my problem is I don't know who to root for and why. So oh. if you bring me to a baseball game <laughs> and you say we're rooting for the Yankees and I'm like, cool. Like well, Yankees. Like I'm fine with here's that. Here's the thing. You know? if, if you understand the rules of the game enough to follow what's going on on the field. Mm-hmm. You don't need to know the team. You can just appreciate a good competition, right? I like guess. If, if, the team, if the teams are like equally matched and the, the score is really close, it's not like to, a total runaway. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see two teams of good athletes competing. For me, I just feel like I'm watching a random number generator at that point. Like oh, I, uh, I am keyed mm-hmm. into watching events transpire and having an emotional connection mm-hmm. to it, not just appreciating it intellectually. Yeah. So if you, so like if I followed the sports pages and if they still have pages, <laughs> uh, but if I followed sports news and there, i knew who still was playing newspapers and, dude they're out there i was a joke but like if i knew who was playing and why and what mattered to them and whose father was never going to love them anymore if they <laughs> lost like then i would have a real investment in it as it stands oh. i'm just like i hope they all have fun like that's, that's a, it yeah that, that's but the if, like, least interesting a, part though and they have like, those olympic athlete profiles and it turns out they had an injury and their dog died in a thresher and I, they're just trying to get their life back in order and it's like and then at the end you find can, out who threw the dog in can, the thresher can, can and it's I, a real can i just just watch the luge, please. You know, I don't need to see the backstory. We have, a, we have an entirely different perspective. Yeah, on okay. it. I, I don't care about just stuff happening. <laughs> I want I want to know what we had this problem with Legally Blonde. You just liked that stuff was happening in the show. I wanted to know why she was there and what and what motivated her. This so you, is, you don't care about the competition. You care about the I care about the, competition. the story of that they're trying to put on the athlete. I care about competition and. Uh, as it pertains to how it illustrates a story. Case in point, mm. I don't particularly like sports. Mm. I love sports movies. Okay. Sports movies are great because they're like inherently cinematic. They mm. are mostly physical uh, competitions with rules mm. and uh, opportunities. They come around from behind. And, uh, you know, so like a lot of my favorite movies are sports movies. I love Rocky. Mm. I love. Uh, Warrior, I love The Sandlot, I love, like, I love a lot of sports movies. Mm. I don't actually watch sports. <laughs> and it's because in the movie, they tell me mm. what why it matters yeah. beyond who wins the game. Um, uh, as to your comment about the 1980s, yeah, the mainstream stuff in the 1980s... There was a lot of crap. There was a lot of crap. And 
you talk to a lot of people our age and you know, you ask them what the best films of the 80s were and they'll probably give you a long list of things that were very, very, very popular mm. and also good for young kids. Stuff like Ghostbusters and Back mm-hmm. to the Future. It was a good time to be f- um, forming your opinion about art, not very really a good time to already if, have it. If you were an adult, a lot of those movies aren't really discussed anymore. Like we had a question about Billy Bathgate on the Schmodown. It's like, oh yeah, I remember Billy well, Bathgate. That was technically the 90s, well, 90s but still 90s, no but one yeah, gives a crap about that movie anymore. It's gone. The, the a lot of the movies that the adults were watching the eighties aren't discussed as widely as sort of the pop culture for the kids. That's true. Think about try if, to think about how many like mm. serious non-genre mm. dramas from the eighties you can remember off the top of your head compared to how many horror movies, mm. sci-fi movies, action like, movies. Probably fewer. It's fewer in my yeah. case. How, anyway. how many essays are there about the Nightmare on Elm Street movies? Tons. Now, how many essays are there about Out of Africa? Not as many. Not near. Not as many as the answer. Yeah. Um, so there. If you, I'm eager to go back and see what was really popular in the 1980s for an adult audience, mm. and maybe uh, the perception of the decade would be different if I was consuming those films instead of just sort of the the kitty entertainment. Uh, if you're if you hated the pop music, go underground. There was a lot of good punk going on in the 1980s. There was a lot of uh, new wave going on in the 1980s. Uh, it, there was a lot of underground, like independent films going on. You know, Repo Man and stuff that was really kind of strange and experimental. Uh, stuff that could, you know, Tim Burton came out of the 1980s. There's mm. a lot of strange things under the surface during the really horrible, vapid eras. That's way more interesting. There's a really good podcast if you're interested in going mm. back. To the 1980s called 80s All Over. Yeah, Drew McQueenie's podcast. Uh, it's a podcast where every episode they review every theatrically released movie that came out in a consecutive month in the 1980s. And they're over the course of the podcast, they're trying to get through mm. every movie that came out in the 80s. And they're currently like in like the last quarter of 1983. So it's not mm. too difficult to catch up. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, for every like major motion picture that they review on a given episode, like, oh, mm-hmm. we're talking about The Thing in Blade Runner this month. There's, like, ten movies that I barely remember or have never even heard of. And a lot <laughs> of them that they haven't heard of either, and they're just mm-hmm. discovering that. So, like, part of it is things that they're reevaluating from a contemporary perspective. Part of it is discovering shit that got completely swept under the rug. Um, and it really does illuminate just how broad the 80s were compared to how popular culture thinks yeah the 80s were ready player one has the cliff's notes that's it yeah um so that's it for cancel too soon uh thank you everybody for writing in um we always get really great letters Mm. a lot of our letters are just suggestions for shows and we read those too and we add them to the list if they meet the criteria Mm. so keep sending those in we don't always read them um, we don't read them on the show because it's just a suggestion, it, but, we, but we do read and, them. And the answer is usually, yeah, we'll, we'll put that on the list. The mm. list is hundreds of shows long, but like we'll get to it at some point. Um, but thank you, everybody, for writing in. Thank you to all, again to all of our Patreon subscribers. Uh, Patreon.com slash cancel too soon. I uh, get a bunch of bonus podcasts on there. Uh, we have two bonus podcasts that are a little late. Mm. Um, which means they, they meant to go up in, at the end of June and it's already July. We, we had so, some yeah. availability problems uh, with the material. Some things are coming in like late this week. Mm. What this means is that you're going to have multiple bonus episodes in the month of July. That's of right. each program. So you'll get more in July. We apologize for the delay. We're as unhappy about it as you are. Um, so it's all, it's all coming. It's do not despair. <laughs> uh, but next week, 
on Cancel Too Soon. Next week, we have plenty to despair. Next week, we are screwed. (laughs) We didn't know this existed, but for the recommendation of a listener, and we read the letter on the air, and we were enthusiastic when we heard about it. As soon as we heard the title, we were like, oh my god, we're doing this show. Mm. Vampires. (laughs) Not vampires. Vampires. They are vampires who are vans. Not the shoes. Like the cars. Like cars. Cars that are vampires. Yeah, and they suck the, the gasoline out of other cars. Uh-huh. And and, and, there, and there's rock music. Yeah. And it's it's a kids' show, and there's like a, live action and animated sequences. Yes. It's 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 like Ninja Turtles the next mutation, but it sucked. It's like it was made specifically <laughs> to be rediscovered by our podcast yeah, twenty-five years later. Th- this this is another one that feels special in some way. So, so we're yeah. super stoked to bring you an episode about vampires. Vampires next week. <laughs> God help us. <laughs> God, are you there? It's me, vampires. <laughs> mea culpa, psh, mea culpa. Psh. <laughs> This is this is how we flagellate ourselves because it's all our fault. You're welcome, Internet. Um, okay, so again, thank you, everybody. Uh, Patreon.com slash cancel too soon. We're on Twitter at cancelcast. I'm William, uh, at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Don't forget to listen to our other podcast, Critically Claimed, on the Schmoes No iTunes feed. Um, and I guess that's a wrap, folks. We'll see you next season. <laughs>